If this is the first time listening to us, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. One of the best things about living in our area, right? One of the best things is community, right? Community and our vets, right? Yes. Um, I feel like our community members and the people around us don't appreciate our vets enough and that also being our government and the military itself respecting them. So, um, I, we've kind of dived in a little bit in our previous podcast before, and you guys probably know that we've been eager to try to talk to somebody with lived experience. Um, and we luckily have that person here today. We have Justin, right? Yes, we have Justin, Army vet, and we will be having a great conversation slash interviewee question Q&A type thing, um, and it'll be great. And just a reminder, those of you watching us on YouTube, remember that we have a podcast or actually have had a podcast for over four years. Crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Four years. So you can listen to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify. Anywhere you can get podcast streaming. Welcome to What the F is Ladylike podcast, live and in person, right? We have Justin. Hello. So, you were in the military? I was in the Army. In the Army. 2008 to 2012. Four years. Four years. So, what? Tell us the story of how you got in interested on you know the military um every pretty much every male in my family has um served in some capacity or uh or you know form my grandfather on my mother's side uh was in korea uh deployed to korea and then he came home and him and my grandma got married bought their farm and then the next day they showed back up at their doorstep of their new farm and told him that he needed to come back in and deploy again. Mm. And then my grandfather on my father's side uh, was born in Holland shortly before Germany invaded in World War II. And then him and my great-grandparents um, lived in Holland during occupied 
you know, when Germany occupied Holland through pretty much the course of the war, and then they forced my great grandpa, my great uh, grandpa, into working for their, you know, their work camps, and he would be forced to go work. He would escape, take a month to get back home, and then they had a cutout in their kitchen floor that he would hide in, and um, they would come in, do their inspections, find him, bring him back, and he did this probably three or four times, and then. Towards the tail end of the war, they told him that if he did it again, they were just going to, you know, this is it. We're not going to bring you back. We're just going to shoot you. And mm-hmm. then they fled to, they packed up and then fled to uh, Indonesia, where they lived for a few years before they immigrated to America. Wow. And then my stepfather was in Vietnam in 71, I believe. And then my brother joined in 2004 and then uh, was deployed to Iraq pretty much right away and then my stepbrother was uh joined and then was deployed to afghanistan a couple times and then i joined in 2008 and then i went through basic and ait and uh, pretty much a month later i was on a plane to iraq so did you feel like it was like your own interest that you had doing it or did you just feel like it was like something um i i had had interests and in, i initially wanted to join the navy uh, strictly because I want, they were going to pay for me to go to culinary school, but I had a GED and they wouldn't take me cause I had a GED. Oh. So I went and talked to the army recruiter and then I basically joined because, uh, my mom said I could either join the military or figure out a way to pay, pay for my own college. So that's, that's how a lot of people actually do join. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I've heard. Um, except for, you know, in our history, we they there was a draft and you were forced um, unless you fled. And yeah. some of our family members did flee and they did get, um, you know, later on, it was OK to come back to the United States. But um, during the draft, it was really scary. So it wasn't a volunteer. It was. No. Yeah. You're, no, you're, you're going, man. And yeah, there's still you still have to register. So anytime a mail turns turns 18 you get a letter in the mail mm-hmm. and you still have to register for the draft i remember i remember when simon got it because um, we had just gotten together and he had just turned 18 and he had gotten it in the mail and he's like what am i supposed to do with this and i'm like sign it and turn it yeah in. i was like you have to fill it out and give it back to them so yeah so you said you you were deployed when uh i deployed to uh Mosul, iraq in 2008 and how much training did you have? Uh, the normal basic and uh, basic training, eight weeks, and then you go to your AIT, which for me was uh, I moved right across the street because mm-hmm. I was at uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, because I had joined to uh, shoot artillery pretty much. Um, how was the beginning of your service? How were... I thought it was fun. Yeah. I was 18. I was super gung-ho. Um, so would you say like maybe like the first year or two was pretty? Well, I mean my my whole time time in I had a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean super cool experiences. I got to travel the world. Um, I mean I've been to northern Iraq, central Iraq. Uh, like I said in two thousand eight, I deployed to northern Iraq. We were there for six months. Um, my uh, my battery, which is uh, just a sm- you know small group of probably sixty guys at most. We kind of were an offshoot from our, like, bigger element unit. 
and we were helping um, with at a, a combat outpost in uh, in Missoula. So pretty much we would we would do one week rotations where you you know we would drive out to the middle of the city and every um, we would do patrols out of this outpost. So half of that, you know, three days would be you going out and patrolling for 10 hours, you know, meeting people, talking to people, trying to find, you know, we would uh, search for stashes of uh, weapons in people's yards and houses and uh, do raids, counter, uh, counter, I like, so they would be shooting mortars and rockets and stuff at uh, the main base. And then we would pretty much try to figure out where they're shooting from and then try to go catch them, catch them or kill them essentially. Got it. Um, and then we would do another three days of like the, uh, the outpost security after. Yeah. Kind of. So we would do kind of a, an on and off schedule. Okay. Did you have, I don't know what they're necessarily called, but did you have a mission or a place necessarily that you went to that impacted you the most that you just, it points out to you like this was like kind of one that sticks out? What do you, so like, what do you mean? Um, cause I don't know what they, so when you get like sent off, like, okay, you're going to go do this or whatever. I don't, cause oh, is every, sure. every, oh, so a, a lot of what we did was so day by day kind of depending on the activity of the area we were in. Mm -hmm. So I initially joined as an artilleryman, but in my deployment in 2009, when I went to, because uh, I was deployed in Missoula and Kirkuk. So I did kind of a, a, a one-year deployment, but I was half in Missoula and half in Kirkuk. But everything was so, like, dependent on what was going on in the city or in the area that day. Mm -hmm. Like when we were in Missoula, we were doing a lot of, um, like we would deliver school supplies. We would make sure that, you know, the schools were protected and children were protected because a lot of the, um, there were a lot of children being, uh, killed just because of their religious beliefs, mm -hmm. you know, in that area. Yeah. So you're just, you're part of the wrong tribe or, you know, you, you practice the wrong religion and you're dead because of it. And then they would be doing a lot of, um, break-ins to people's houses so they kick basically come in the middle of the night kick your door in and um put a gun to your head as the husband as the leader of the family and say you're either gonna go you know attack the americans at, or the the iraqi police or we're gonna kill your family wow you know we can either pay you five hundred dollars you may or may not come back but you'll still have your family will still have this money yeah. so it was a lot of trying to like figure out where these people are hiding what they're doing so I guess, um, I guess more fine tuned, was there, I guess more of like a situational incident that like had stood out, like maybe with children or with just family or just like a, in a location or a certain day, maybe that ta really. like takes more precedent than any other. Prob so you're just saying like an experience that sticks out in my head? Yeah, like just for you and your own experience with throughout the four years that you were there? Probably, part, part uh, this one's kind of fucked up. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or not. No, you're, no, this is um, totally good. 
So you're, you're wait. You're on what the f is lady? Um, like you actually get to say whatever the fuck you would like to say. I think the the biggest thing that stands out to me would be uh, when we got. So when I when I went over in 2009, I was I had just turned. You know, I was I turned 19 in Iraq. And we were so when you get there, the 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 units that are rotating out and like going back to the states, you you spend a month kind of learning and doing like figuring out what they are doing. And then we kind of integrate into that to take over. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, they would be running this outpost and doing patrols and meeting with the leaders and the, you know, the Iraqi military leaders and all that sort of stuff. And we were, I didn't, the first couple of weeks, I didn't leave the, the main, you know, Fobmer as the main base. And uh, we were getting trucks ready because this is going to be my first rotation out. Well, the unit we were replacing was on. They they pull you out of active patrols, and then you're you're either just kind of hanging out or you do uh, fob security. So you know you're you're just keeping the main gate safe, all that sort of stuff. Well, I was standing on top of this truck. I have a picture of it. I'll have to find it. And I can show you. Um, we were. They had just rotated out. Well, they had four days left till they got on a plane to go back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were doing I, – I was getting a truck ready in the motor pool, and I was probably a quarter mile from the main main gate. Well, a ten, uh, they, the insurgents loaded a dump truck full of explosives. It's probably about 10,000 pounds worth of explosives. Because it looked like a miniature, like I said, I have a picture of the after blast. It looked like a mini nuke had gone off. Well, they rushed the main gate with this truck. Well, the the guys pulling security killed the driver, and the truck kept rolling. Well, they had secondary, they, uh, anytime they, that that was called a a V-bed, which is a vehicle-borne IED, essentially, or a vehicle-borne explosive device. And they, they had a secondary trigger man that had the truck was still rolling towards the gate and then they detonated what killed every dude in that area and then i i felt the explosion because i was standing on top of this up armored truck at 19 and i felt the the concussion the concussive blast of this explosion hit me and almost knocked me off of the truck which is about 10 feet you know in the air Mm -hmm. And then I flip around, and then you just see this big plume of just shit and debris. So, again, uh, if you said this, I, I apologize. How many tours were you on? I did two. You did two. And um, what, was the, uh, what was the last tour? Uh, like? I, I, was, uh, I deployed. So I was getting ready to get out in 2011, and my unit deployed – to uh, Joint Base Balad, which is the a big airfield in central Iraq. That's where a lot of you know air air operations happen. They bring supplies in, and then they're distributed out to everything. Mm-hmm. Well, my unit needed people, and um, I was like, I kind of was on the fence, on the fence, on the fence, and I was like, you know, fuck it, I'll I'll do another one. I didn't, I wasn't ready to come home yet. Right. So I, I volunteered to go back. I was like, "Fuck it!" I'll, you know, my my uh, unit commander of Rear D, 
came out and asked for volunteers. So I said, yeah, fuck it, I'll go. So I went through the process. You know, you get your shots, you do all your medical stuff. And uh, my platoon leader, or uh, my platoon sergeant at the time, uh, was having a baby. So he stayed back to be able to watch his child be born. Mm-hmm. Well, him and I, you know, linked back up, and then we flew out together. And then, you know, you you get on a plane, you fly, you, you hit all these sweet points. You know, you, you hit, like, Germany. Or you go from, like, Greenland to Iceland to Germany to Kuwait. And then, you know, you land in Kuwait, and then you have to wait until they can get you on a military flight to wherever wherever it is you're going. Well, me and my platoon sergeant had to wait probably a month in Kuwait to get a flight just yeah. to be able to, to get where we needed to go. The whole time I did, I did everything the way I was supposed to. I did all the paperwork. I had all all my you know deployment paperwork that I needed to be able to turn into my unit once I got there. Well, I – and I think I was at a month and a half of from the time I left – because I was stationed in Fort Hood in Texas. And I think I was at a month and a half of travel time, waiting in Kuwait, all that. Well, we finally got a flight in to uh, Balad. Well, I touched down at like, you know, we got there at like two o'clock in the morning. Well, every time a new flight comes in and your, you know, your unit commander and your first sergeant come in and pick you up just to verify, you know, say hi, all that sort of stuff. Well, I get off the plane with my, my platoon sergeant who knew exactly what was going on. And I got there and my first sergeant and my unit commander looked very puzzled and bewildered when they saw my face and they both look at, look at each other and then look back at me and go, what the fuck are you doing here? And you're like, well, and I, and I look back at them and I go, what do you mean? What am I supposed to be doing here? They're like, we have no record or no knowledge that you were coming. Oh snap. How disorganized is that? And they're like, we need you secured in, you know, you, you know, you're, they're like, you're not in trouble. Like, please don't. Oh, but they're, they're like, you are like, we need you here in, you know, you're coming to our CP, our command post. And like, you're locked down. You like, we need you in a secure area. They're like, you wouldn't, we have no knowledge. You're supposed to fucking be here. So they thought you were just showing I was up supposed like to be, were... in the, as far as anybody, anybody knew, I was still in Fort Hood getting ready to exit the army they didn't even to leave to go home oh snap so how did that go down so you were locked up so i was basically you know i was well that way if any because if anything did happen to me they're fucked because they lost so uh a big thing in the military is um like uh, just accountability there's always accountability of your, you know, your weapons, your equipment, your personnel, and that's something that is preached. And that's Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, probably the Space Force, but I know nothing about them. <laughs> but yeah, accountability, always accountability of everything, equipment, personnel, everything. Well, they did not have accountability of where the fuck I was supposed to be. So how did that happen? I mean, like, so they, you showed up, they're scratching their heads, or like, you need to go. 
lock yourself up. We don't know why the fuck you're here. Well, when I locked up, basically, like I still, I could still like go eat chow and all that sort of stuff. But I had to have, I basically had to have the babysitter. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere that could possibly get me hurt or killed. Basically, like in a secured yeah. location, in a sense. That's so wild. I couldn't go out on patrols. I couldn't do. I, you know, I couldn't link up with my my platoon. How long were you? What was that? How long were you there for? I guess locked up, but like it was a it was about a week or two okay. until they figured out where the fuck up happened and what happened, because uh, the the big reason what what pushed me is if I volunteered and extended, you get another five hundred dollars mm, a week. It's all about the and money, that's, and that's and that's so when you deploy, everything's tax free. So my paycheck's tax free, a hundred percent tax free. Plus, you get an additional $500 a week or whatever it was added to that. Got it. So, I mean, as a 19, 20-year-old kid, you're making... That's pretty good money. You're walking, you know, a one-year deployment, you're walking away with anywhere from 30000 to $50,000 after a year. And, you know, you can spend your money while you're deployed because, like, for me, I bought a lot a lot of stuff online and then just had it shipped to my parents or, you know, friends there at Fort Hood that would hold on to it for me until we got back. Yeah. But a lot of guys were just banking up their money and then they'd buy a brand new car when they got out or, you know, be able to pay oh, yeah. off all of their, you know, you deploy for a year and then you're debt free. Right. So let's rewind. So let's just take it back, take it back. So you finally, they finally figure out that you, you get to, you get to play back in your, with your, whatever you signed up for, right? Yeah. I finally got to yeah, reintegrate into my unit. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that go? It was, I mean, it was just after I got everything figured out and got all the paperwork out, everything was smooth. We, you know, I went to patrolling and then we, uh, that deployment, we actually got to shoot artillery while we were deployed. Cause I didn't the first because uh, the first deployment, we were doing more uh, just patrols and security and that sort of stuff. To whereas on this deployment, the the last half of it was more focused on what's called counter IDF. So like the bad guys are shooting at us, our forward observers would figure out where they're shooting from, call to us, and then we return. Fire, which actually my unit was, uh, I was in uh, Alpha uh, Alpha Battery of Third and Eighty Second Field Artillery. We were the the first and last rounds fired of Operation New Dawn in Iraq. Wow. So, Iraq, from what I saw, and um, my nephew was there also in the Air Force. Um, on a, but what I saw, it, it was just, it was awful from the stand, from where I got, where I saw it, you know, I don't know how it was, you know, being there. Um, I, but from the, it gives you, it gives you a very good perspective on how good people have it here in America and that I don't think. A lot of people in today's society understand, like, I know, I know shit sucks in America. Right. And I know that, like, people's rights and freedoms and, and things are being challenged as far as, like, 
the the renig of Roe v. Wade, blah blah blah. You know, women's rights, all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's it, it it's it's awful in the the grand scheme of things, but in the same sense, like over there. People, you have no rights. You have no, like, people are going to kick in your door. You're either going to do what I want or I'm going to take you down to the river and I'm going to fucking shoot you. Or, I mean, we can't say the word, but, or they take advantage of women. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, so women women in the Middle East are, you're there for, for pleasure and procreation. That's and servitude. And, and servitude. And that's it. That's it. That's what, that is your, so, so when women are born, you're, your entire purpose of living at least from my perspective and what i saw in in iraq is you're you're there to to take care of your children you know please your man you know all that all that sort of stuff yeah and i think i think that's a very valid point that you bring up is yeah you know we we did have our rights taken away but but people here in america that are accustomed to you know I want to say the luxury of things um, don't really have that wake up call of, of just what the fuck is happening in other countries. Well, and something I want to I want to make sure that I verbalize here is that I I know I I didn't mean like what I said offensively or anything like no, that. No, no, no. no, no but no. but the nice thing about living here in America and, and something that I have is and I think people forget is that we the people are the change so it, it's gonna it's gonna take people getting you know enough people standing up and unfortunately it's gonna take something a little more people right. to being a little more serious for us to take our shit back right yeah and, and i'm i'm not see and this is i like to bounce off of what you say is like a hundred percent is like we have to fix what is going wrong here mm-hmm. and people can't run away from that when like, I think, and you know when people are like, oh, so-and-so is president, so-and-so, I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to move. No, you need to stay here if this is... This- no, I mean, if you want to move to Canada, please right. you know, move to Canada. But, the, but for the reason of, I guess, politics and well, this yeah. and that and the other thing. But um, I feel like if people... I guess the people who say like... Who nag about the stuff, the problems here, and they actually... They nag and nag and nag, and they just talk and talk but they don't either like they don't volunteer, they don't get involved in their community or what lack thereof. Well, like my, uh, my wife has been an activist for, yes. for people's rights yes. and you know, the, the LBGTQ community and just Heck yeah. people and women's rights in general. Yes. My wife is a fucking rock star. Yes. Mm-hmm. Heard and, amazing. And she has said, I mean, as far as I'm, I'm aware, since she, you know, she could voice her opinion, she's been out there, you know, standing up for people and like, mm-hmm trying to get at it there and, definitely needs to be more of her out and, no there. <laughs> exactly well and that it's going to take people like exactly. that and people like my wife that are going to stand up to to our politicians yes. and the people in charge yep. and that's because what they're they're happen. at this yeah. point in time in our in our country they're doing what they want they do not give a fuck yes a thousand percent and, and it, it's like with no consequence too oh it all we have we have consequences and we were just talking about this like how do we get to talk to our government officials you know how like they've been having these things these past few weeks where they get to grill all these people like the social media people or whatever i don't know it's a cover right 
how do we get to have uninterrupted time to talk to them? Because you have to force it. I know. And so like we were just talking about this. So at the meetings that they have, you get like two minutes, right? We need to, everybody needs, like we're the people who need to be on board. Take every two minutes, line it up and get it out there. Like that's well, so I'm- essentially what, what would need to happen to, to make a change is people are going to have to stop. You're going to have to stop going to work. You're going to have to stop buying shit. Yep. You're going to have to stop paying for gas. But it You're has gonna, to be a whole well, thing. It, ha- it has to be a collective. As, yes. a, as a country, everybody, we, we are going to have to stand up and say enough is enough. Because if we stop putting money into the system, it's going to show our 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 higher ups that we we aren't going to stand for it. Because what happens when you what happens what happens when you get well you know what happens when you stop going to work? Yeah. You stop making a paycheck. Yeah. Well, they, that company they, stops making money. Well, yeah. they stop paying taxes to the government. Taxes to the government. That's a bingo. And 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 it just it works that way. It it just it's a big circular pattern in economics in America. And, and what, that I don't think people yeah. understand that and, it, it 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 it's gonna suck to go without. Yeah. I get it. Trust me, I'm the guy that doesn't, you know, I I like to get what I want when I want it. Yeah. But I also know that if I have to go without to possibly progress or make change or like say, fuck it, what if the system went down? Mm-hmm. You know, can you be self-reliant as a human being long enough right. to... And you can see that within generation to generation, they've pushed into society... The lack thereof of self-reliance. Like, oh, it's non-existent. It's horrible. Because if you were if you were to line up ten people in today's society now, and ask them, okay, well here's here's a, a flint and you know a, a flint rod and a steel, and then here's all of the tools to make a fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, can you make a fire? Or you know, hey, you're you're okay. Well, here's a for instance, you're in your Subaru and you're wanting to go snowboarding. You go up to you know you go up to Mount Hood to go snowboarding. You take the wrong road. Well, you either get stuck in snow, or you know your car breaks down. Mm-hmm. How are you going to have the capabilities in your car and then your own personal knowledge to be able to survive long enough to be able to either get help or right. is help going to come? No, because I feel like with I mean I guess it depends on within family systems truthfully but like um if people aren't taught those skills and it gets lost along the way like and i was just talking about it with simon it's like <laughs> people knew how to do their own shit they built their own houses mm-hmm. they did their own plumbing they but now everybody has to hire someone to do what's well, because everything. everybody's become reliant on the system because our 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 government compliance has, has made people become reliant because then Everybody else is gonna go. Well, my shit's not working. Well, now I don't. Now I don't have any. So like uh, that big ice storm we had in 20, yep. 2021 in our area. You know, we were you know uh, up in Oregon City where I live. We were without power for like three and a half days. It, oh, us, we were way longer. It was a week and a half. It was a week and a half. And I live in a house that was built in nineteen thirteen down where the paper mill sits. Mm-hmm. And then they moved that when they built the paper mill, they moved my house up on you know, up the hill on logs to where it sits now. I have, I have single pane window. I mean, right. all everything in my home is original. Right. So I have no insulation. I have lath and plaster walls. Right. Well, I'm having to blanket off areas of my home. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where, you know, I ran out of fuel to, yep. to try to heat, you know, cause I had yeah. a, I had a two year old son at the time. Yeah. 
her two and a half year old son at the time, a wife and, you know, uh, an elderly grandma at my house. And it got to the point where I had a half gallon Everclear in a me- in a metal bowl, and oh, I'm yeah. I'm lighting Everclear on fire, and you know out. boiling yeah. it in a bowl, which is bringing up my which I knew would bring you know because it's it burns yeah. cleanly and efficiently, yeah. and I knew you know I can I can jump my house up 15 degrees if I close off an area, and I'm yeah. you know see, but you have those basic skills, right? You have that knowledge of that. Everybody I mean, can. Everybody can. But there's some people on the block I live on that just are. So if I can, if I can recommend, if if I can recommend anything to anybody, there's a gentleman. His name is Cody Lundeen, and he has a book. It is called All. I think it's like All Hell Breaks. Cody Lundeen. Uh, People may know him from uh, some of the survival shows. He was uh, uh, a barefoot hippie, and he had long ponytails. Oh, yeah. And he had, you know, he was always coming around, and he is one of the best survivalist people that I've learned from and been able to watch. And it's nice because he has a book that's called All Hell Breaks Loose. Well, that book is essentially based on what happens if the grid goes down. Yeah. What are you, you know, where are you going to, you know, where where are you going to shit for the night? How do you keep, you know, how do you keep clean? Where do you, you know, it goes through and it breaks down all of these things. And it, it helps people learn now comparative to right. learning on the fly if it happens. I think, I don't remember who it was, but there was somebody who did a study on us Americans and it was like, oh, if the power grid goes down, it was like 90% of Americans would Dead. die. Yeah. Yep. So, so let's reel it back in. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I no, no. You know, when it comes, you, no. this is this is such a terrible topic for me because no, I I will literally I I go off on tangents. That's what we do. That's yeah. That's, that's what we do. So in a nutshell, when you it was time for you to come home, uh, well, how, how was that? So let's talk about how you came home. Um, why did why did why did you come home? Was it were you just dead? oh I was tired of it. it so it got to. Uh, political in the sense of like when i joined we were we were war oriented so you know everything was focused more on can you do your job are you good at your job like how well you know how how efficient and how how well can you fight and know your work and what you do and that was the focus Mm -hmm. to where like when i rotated out in 2011 it went from knowing that to now it's a hundred percent appearance and physical training and you know that you know they have uh weight and grooming standards and stuff like that and somebody like me i'm not built to be stick thin but according to the army i was fat even though you know whatever and then i also theoretically i never passed a physical fitness uh test during you know during my time in service but that's i've just i've never been a strong runner so i would always fail to run well i was i was good at my job and I knew what was going on, and I took on like two or you know the job you know the job of two or three other people, so a lot of my leadership looked over that, which is probably wrong, and you know I was probably wrong just because I never you know passed that test, but then it got to the point where I got you know we we came back stateside and that became a problem, and I just a mixture of all the other things and I just I got tired of like essentially feeling like a puppet. Mm-hmm. So, would you say 
the U.S. military, after you departed, uh, help set you up for success no. for the rest for the rest of your future life? Close. How would you? What was your experience like after that? So, as, when I got back, I I, fe- I decided I wanted to get out, and I was uh, you know ETSing out of the army, which you know you have to go through this process of clearing posts and God getting your med records, you know, finalized and all that sort of stuff. And I, I never took leave my entire time I was there. So I think I had three months of leave banked up. Well, I took all of that, you know, during my ETS time, which is, it's called terminal leave. Mm -hmm. So I think I was like a month and a half into my terminal leave and I was trying to get, you know, do all my meetings and clear, clear posts. And every time my my leadership would do barrack, you know, I was a single soldier at the time, so I lived in the barracks and they would do morning inspections every morning. with the command sergeant major and all the first sergeants were doing barracks in barracks inspections. And I, I would be sleeping when they would come, you know, they would come bursting through my door and go, what, you know, what the fuck are you doing here? I'm like, well, you know, you know, every morning it was the same question. I'm like, well, I'm in terminal leave. I'm trying to clear post. I'm trying to get the fuck out of here. Well, after about a week, they got tired of, me seeing that, well, my command sergeant major at the time looks at me and tells me, he's like, you're getting out of my barracks today. You're clearing these barracks today. He's like, I'm like, I'm not like, what, where am I supposed to go? What am I, he's like, what, like, what am I supposed to do? He goes, I don't give a fuck. You're leaving. He's like, I don't want to see, he's like, you're clearing the barracks today and you're leaving. He's like, I don't care where you go. You're not going to be in my barracks anymore. So essentially, I hadn't got ETS out of the army yet, and I was homeless. And I was supposed to be homeless and finish clearing and doing all this stuff so I could get my DD-214 and then fly home. Because without your DD-214, the army, because the army pays for you to fly home. Like they will buy you a plane ticket and then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll pay for you to fly wherever, wherever you want, essentially. So that sounds like to me, you did your job. You paid your you. You you. No, paid I feel like job, hold on, hold on. I think I think for people who, I don't I don't want to speak for people, but for people who join the military, do this act of service for our country. I think that's going more above and beyond than any normal regular job. Mm-hmm. That's was my opinion. Well, so what people don't understand is so you so when you join the military, you're you're essentially a salaried employee. Mm, got it. So they they can work you as much and sense. as long as they want. You have you have no say. I mean, you have rights as you know, your constitutional rights are still intact. But in a sense, so like as a as a private E1 you make i don't know what the pay is now but when i was in i think it's like 1200 bucks a month mm. is what your take home would be after taxes all that sort of stuff so for 1200 bucks you know or like 1200 bucks every two weeks or something like that i don't remember and that was it's, back it's been a long, that, that long was time back ago. in the day so so they could work you 24 hours and then you get you know a four-hour break, another 24 hours, four-hour break, whatever the case is, you know, you can wake up at, at 5 a.m. to go do PT and then start your day, and then you're not getting back to your barracks room until 10 or 11 that night. And then you're still being paid the same wage. Doesn't matter. You have to show up. You have to listen. And it's it, – that's uh, 
That's just that's the way it is. So they were like, "Okay, you're done. Um, you were still there. You're basically homeless. Mm-hmm. You were homeless. Luckily, I had a friend that had uh, off post housing. That was uh, him and his. You know, his wife was moving. You know, he got married and he was moving his his wife in with him. Well, he had a house and he offered to let me stay with him in the town over from Colleen. Uh, and, you know, luckily I was able to stay with him and then I would get rides back to, cause I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license. Yeah, have Nothing. Shit. I'm shit. So I, I would get rides back in and then they kept saying I was, you know, after I was kicked out of the barracks, I was saying they would still fuck with me and make me come in for these, you know, surprise UA tests mm-hmm. and all these surprise inspections and basically saying that even though I'm on terminal leave, I'm still a part of the unit, so I still have to show up. Even well, though that's not really how it was supposed to go. Because essentially, like, you're on terminal leave, you're you're non-existent, <clears throat> you're away from the unit. So it's like you're a puppet. Pretty much. To whatever the fuck they had to say. Pretty much. The entire time. So how'd you get back to the United States? Or how'd you get back over here? Oh, I mean, I flew back. You, you know, just you flew you, back. So uh, we in 2011 we um, we closed down Joint Base Balad, mm-hmm. handed it over to the Iraqi Army. Well, we drove from Joint Base Balad to Kuwait. Oh, it was a big convoy of people, mm-hmm. and then you know I think it took us two days to drive. But yeah, we it was a huge fucking convoy of a base full of people. Mm-hmm. You know, jumping, we, you know, we went from Balad to, I don't remember the map, but I mean, I, I hit Taji, Fallujah, you know, um, Baghdad and, you know, all the, the cities and points on the way down to Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And then once we got to Kuwait, we turned in our trucks, we handed it over Mm -hmm. and then we sat there for like a month while we waited for a flight. So it went from, and then you get on, uh, uh, like a, it, Civilian flight, yeah, airplane, and so and then you fly back. And so what? So in that, so what city do you fly back to? So we uh, we would fly back into Colleen, Texas, okay. which is uh, the town that's kind of hooked into Fort Hood because mm-hmm. there's an airfield, an, yeah. an international airfield in Colleen. Mm-hmm. So how long did it take you to get back on your feet after the? hot fucking mess that you just oh i got i mean i finally i cleared uh cleared post i got my dd214 i got a flight back to portland and then luckily uh at the time my mom lived in gresham so because she moved from salem up to up to gresham because that's where she was working Mm -hmm. and living at the time and then i got back and immediately um wanted to start going to culinary school and I wanted mm-hmm. to get, uh, get that going. And, uh, you know, I applied for that. And, um, I think I was, I, it took me about two months to get applied. And then luckily the timing worked out for me to start, start school. So that whole experience that you just kind of quickly went over, which was years, it's just a mind fuck for me, and I didn't even I didn't even experience it. Um, s- s- one thing I forgot to ask, but so within your whole time of serving within 
the whole shit show of it all. Um, did you endure or get any injuries or battle wounds or anything? Well, I am technically 90% disabled. Um, Tell us about that. Well, I mean, I just being, you know, in a combat MOS, you know, you beat, especially from, you know, a, a teenager. Mm -hmm. I got out when I was 23 and I joined at 18. Just the way my birthdays kind of played out. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, I I fell six feet out of the back of an MRAP, you know, fully geared up. And I had two machine guns in my hands and I flipped around because you're, you're never supposed to let your weapon hit the ground. Right, so, of course, you being, could, you know, of course, them. being, you know, being a teenager, I'm my mind that's, you know, the weapons are more important. I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. So I'd rather hit the ground than have my weapons hit the ground. So I fell out of the back of this truck, landed straight on my spine, you know, fucked my back up. I basically got, you know, took a couple of minutes, got back up, kept trucking. Oof. When did you find out that you were jacked up with your... Oh, it was when I got out. And then, so I, um, I went through culinary school and I... My brother had deployed in 2004 and then got out about a year later. I think he got out at the end of 2005. Well, he had applied for disability through the VA for his injuries that he sustained mm -hmm. while he was in. And then, you know, he was receiving a little bit of compensation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was out there, and I didn't know, like, to an extent how that worked. But it wasn't until I met my wife that because i i didn't want to fuck i had such an awful experience getting out and being thrown out of right. the army and being kicked out that i didn't want anything to fucking do with it i barely wanted to use my gi bill oh i fucking i don't blame and you after story it wasn't until i met my wife that she finally talked me into okay no you know they fucked you up they you know they kind of they kind of oh yeah like that's what it's there for because my my now father-in-law spent his entire life in the national guard mm -hmm. and then his dad his career national guard yeah so finally i mean i i applied you know because i had i stole my med records because when you got when you get out you're not supposed to right and i'm so, i feel like you should have access to your med well records. so what what happens is you you know you're getting out and that's part of the ets process is you're they give you a copy and then you're supposed to turn it into another facility well i never did that i kept that shit because when I first got in, I had old timers that were fucked up and like beat up that are like document every injury, every fucking nick, cut, sprained toe, you know, whatever the case. Yeah. So through my entire time, I, I got called a sick old ranger, but on the same on the same note, every time I was injured, it was, you know, it, my med records you know, this That's thick, but I'd rather document everything that way. There's, you know, I have, I have backing to when I go to the VA and say, amazing. okay, you know, mm -hmm. which th still doesn't help now. No, but. but I feel like people aren't really thinking that in the moment. Oh, not at all. They don't. And that's, and that's something that it, it takes another person talking to you when you join that has had that experience. And I don't, I don't, I can't speak to that now because I've been out for a long time. But when I joined, I had guys that were, you know, invasion. You know, they were there for the invasion of Iraq. Mm -hmm. And they had been to Afghanistan and gone through all this shit. 
and then, you know, got out and then they stayed local to the town and stuff when they had friends that were my friends. So I got to meet them through, you know, associates and they're just like, no, document fucking everything. Doesn't matter because that shit's going to, going to help you when you go and then, you know, you're, you're 40 and 50 and then you start having these aches and pains and, and things go wrong that you don't know that you're, you're, you're fucking your body up now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's crazy to me cause I hear this song and fucking dance all the time about, you know, uh, your vets, your vets are so important, you know, no, you not. need to take care of them. Yada, yada, yada. Nobody gives a shit. Quack, quack, quack. So, and something that I, I've noticed just in my, my personal experiences is that a lot of the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans that I've talked to are starting to feel more and more like our, our Vietnam veterans did in the sense that we, you know, we, it was a, it's volunteer service. So we volunteered to go, we volunteered to do the job and we accept that. But on the same note, we were promised all this shit when we joined, you know, GI bill money, you know, you, you know, your VA benefits, your healthcare for life, all this other stuff. And, and, and that didn't occur. Well, and it took me meeting my wife for her to talk me into applying for my disability for my injuries because I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was at the point where I went a couple of years without and even you were worrying probably, about it. You were probably in fucking pain mm-hmm. the whole time. You're just powering through it. And then, you know, adjusting back from being in that the that environment to coming back there is home. no so there is so and, and that's something the military doesn't offer is they don't offer an adjustment like classes psychological services nothing you are basically you're so you go from them training you so like for me i'm a combat i'm a, I'm a combat vet yeah. so they you join and like i joined during a time of war so it's you're gonna know we're gonna send you over there you're gonna fuck kill people like, that's your purpose. And so how did that affect your mental health? Like, I guess, coming back and I guess being in more civilian-like, mm-hmm. like, an environment, how did that, I guess, in the beginning, I guess, affect your mental did, health? And then even now to now? Uh, it didn't really... It It took a while for things to kind of set in and... I I got to the point where a couple of years ago I stopped being able to drive myself anywhere. I can't like I I physically can't drive myself because I get so goddamn anxious that I'm afraid that I'm going to end up either crashing into somebody or hurting myself behind the wheel of a vehicle. So I've spent the last three or four years relying upon my wife to take me to and from places, and then even and then and then even being. Like my family goes on trips to the beach or whatever, and I can't do the car ride from, you know, say if we're going from Oregon City to Seaside or Rockaway or wherever the case is, I stay home. Does anybody help you to try and get past a certain point right now? Like, um, so here's the fun. Here's the fun part is I, I have tried to get, uh, like, psychological services and therapy and like mm-hmm. go see psychiatrists and stuff through the VA. Well, the way the VA works is they're like, Oh, okay, well, cool. You know, you have documented PTSD, whatever. Mm-hmm. Here's 24 visits to our psychologist. Oh shit. 
So, you know, your setup will pay for, and then after that you have to reapply and then we'll give you more or whatever. Well, I, I did probably four or five and then all of a sudden my appointments are canceled. And then they're like, well, you're not covered any, you know, your services aren't covered anymore. Oh man, it's because. And it's been the same way for like me to go to a chiropractor or like get, get anything like that because I have uh, pre-existing yeah. back injuries for my time in the service. No. So I'm trying to get, you know, medical help. Well, you're issued so many clinical visits. And then after you do a couple, well, all of a sudden now those, those appointments are there and then you have to reapply for the whole process again. So you, you don't have the, uh, I know processing that for a second. Take as much time as you need. I've had years. You don't have anybody walking like helping you like okay. Well, there's services and there there are there are very wonderful people right, that right, are right. that are there to help, but from I know I'm just speaking for myself mm-hmm. here, but I know I know a few other vets that feel the same way. That you know you go through enough of this shit with trying to just get you know medical help, mm-hmm. you know psychological help, and whatever. Well, you can only try so hard for so long, jump through so many hoops before before well exactly before you finally you just you look at it and you just say well what the fuck's the point? Right. Well, it, I'm going to tell you what the point is. You're important. You are important. Okay, and that's the whole point. So, like for me, I've had to either pay out of my own pocket, mm-hmm. or you know, use my own, you know, have have a separate insurance to be able to go and then get the medical care needed. Mm-hmm. And then, like for me, I don't, I won't, I don't use the VA for shit, and I refuse to. And I know I'm not the only vet that does that. I just feel like they just blow a bunch of fucking smoke up oh, out of everybody's ass. That's just the mm-hmm. way I feel. And well, it's because it, that's because we're we're of no use to them anymore. Yeah, you're no you're no use to them, and so it's like eh, just mm-hmm. push them aside, push them aside, and that really. And I'm not. I had sucks. I had a I had a fucking blast while yeah. I was in the service. I did. Yeah. I met some of the coolest people you know I've I've ever met in my life through my time in. But in the same note, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you fall short on their quote unquote standards or, you know, whatever the case is, okay, it's time for you to be done. You're out of here. We're done with you. And then you're out. And then there is, like I said, there is no transition to where, okay, well, you're going from, uh, you know, you spend four, four, 10, 20 years doing a nine to five, you know, I'm going to say this theoretically, but you're doing a nine to five job of the same shit day in and day out. Well, now one day it poof, you don't have that routine anymore. See, and that doesn't sit right with me. Like when it's like the government is having you guys do their dirty work and then coming back and not treating you guys very well, well at all, not respecting, not setting you guys up for life. And then they're sitting there rich off of the money they're profiting. And I feel like that should be applied to the people who are. That would make too much sense. So, hey, so check it out. If you if you ever want to understand the military and like the military, like in in this is like I've known dudes in the Marine Corps and the Navy, all that sort of shit. If it makes sense, it, it doesn't make sense. 
So this, if, that's, if it, that's, that's kind of the way our fucking government is. Oh, it's 100%. Because nobody... So uh, a lot of... Uh, the way America is ran is, is financially. It's uh, it's all, oh, all... No, wait, wait, wait. No, wait. Time out. We are baroque. Well, uh-huh. we we as the people are... We are broke. Wait, wait. What is it? What did you say that one no, time? No, our government says that we're in debt. Don't forget. We're in debt. Don't, Don't forget. forget. <laughs> but they they make us feel like shit. They're like, we're in debt, guys. Well, yeah, it's your fault. Yeah. yeah. What the? It's, you know why it's your fault? Well, and that's why you, you need f- to have more children. You you were born. Well, and- I know, but I'm just saying. Like that's that's a narrative. That's you know that yeah, they, that's what they. they yeah, pe- yeah, yeah. You know, people in the government are, are telling people that you know we don't have enough people being Produce born. Produce those now. babies. Yeah, we we need more social security numbers. Well, and that's the thing is like our generations. Like well, and that's a big part of what I don't think people understand is you're, you're so like the only reason for your social security number is that's tied to your debt to the government. Yep, and it is shown supposedly. Our generation, the millennials or whatever you want to call us, we have chosen to have fewer quit kids than the generations well, before. That's because you can't fucking so you can't, you can't you can't afford it. You're not so and and I I if you're not mentally like mentally capable to have a child, good on you. And a lot of people Why don't bring, have support from their families. Well, exactly. So if you don't have a support in place or you don't have the financial capability yeah. to to have it because have. Why have a kid if you can't be there a 100% for that child? Yeah. Financially and emotionally, because I know, speaking from my experience, I, I wasn't there. You know, my dad, my parents were divorced, you know, when I was four. So I, I lived and then I moved in with my dad. Well, my dad was there financially for me, but that motherfucker worked and yeah. worked yeah. and worked. And when he was there, you know, him and I went camping and fishing and did all this fun stuff. But on the same days. note, like. There was a, a lot of, that he couldn't be there for me emotionally because that motherfucker was tired, mm-hmm. and it didn't. It did. I. I as a as a child that that kind of fucked me up. But in the same sense, like now being a dad, because I I'm, I'm yeah. a stay I'm a stay at home dad now, and I get to spend every day with my kid, mm-hmm. which I'm super grateful for, mm-hmm. and you know I I get to you know be there with him to to drop him off for school with my wife in the morning. And then I get to interact with your son and, you know, we get to, we get to go do all that stuff. Well, I didn't have that as a kid. Yeah. And that's something that sticks out with me that makes me think like, okay, well, you know, you add more and more kids into the mix. Well, that's less time and less, you know, less emote, you know, emotionally that you can offer your child. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like back in the We've day? It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've seen me and Justin have seen it, I think, within the parenting life with people who have a lot of children and the things they say well, out I, loud. Well, exactly. Like, I I know a dude that has, you know, 11 kids and he straight up has said, I can't, you know, I there's a time where they're all together and I don't have time to spend with every one of my children. Yes. Like, I've verbally heard him say this. 11 kids, man. 11 kids in the economy that we're in right now. That would just, that, I would just have, I would just freak the fuck out. I mean, I thought my grandma was bad having like six kids, you know. Well, I think for at least our family, you were the one who started not having as many kids. I think you would have loved to have a ton of kids, though, if you could have. But, 
supposedly that's kind of what people are saying that it's kind of gearing it up for is like our kids to have more kids than what we had. And that's what they're trying to change those laws for. And I think that's as, as parents, that's our, our responsibility to be able to explain to them and help coach them through like, okay, what's like getting a, it's so like with, uh, my son really wanted a puppy. So, and my, you know, my wife wanted to get, uh, you know, she wants to train and have an emotional support animal. Yeah. So we kind of use that opportunity to show him like, okay, well, getting a puppy is a huge responsibility. Yeah. Like you have to be there for it emotionally that, you know, they need attention. They need love. They need care. Yeah. You know, they need to go outside to go potty every, you know, every 30 minutes to hour or, you know, whatever the case is. And like, you cannot neglect that. Yeah. Um, so our oldest, uh, has vocalized through this last year from me and Simon educating her. They don't want kids, right? They don't want kids. I'm like, cool. That's cool. When that's a decision, you know, that's your decision to make. But because of, um, I guess like not holding back because I feel like some parents just hold back and it's like, oh, I shouldn't explain or talk about this situation. Well, no, because their kids are stupid (laughs) and they're not going to understand. But that's the thing is, like, you can't just sit there. If they're, your kids are asking questions, give them the answer. Don't say, oh, what can I make up in this situation? Well, I mean, you can word it tactfully to try and to age appropriate it to that age-appropriate child. Exactly. But on the same note, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, my kids are – like, well, they're not going to fucking understand that. Like, ugh. But I've noticed, like, if you try to sit down and explain and talk to your children, like, they're gonna fucking comprehend a little more than i think you realize yes i agree with that have you seen any ufos out there while you were um just you know and have you seen any unidentified flying objects no okay no i wish that'd be cool i would just you know think that you would i mean there's just not a lot of I mean, I don't know, because bombs were probably going off and shit. So, you know, everything was probably unidentified over there. I don't know. The vastness of space, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people understand how, like, I'm I'm fucking crazy. So you're about to open up, like, Pandora's box <laughs> no. of me fucking talking. No, no, no. See, I, mean, I don't like, think under, I don't. Think we may have to pocket that one for another one because, yeah. like, we we want it definitely. We that is have, right up our alley. Yeah, that, we so, ask everybody that. So don't. I mean, don't don't act like we would love to open that can of worms. Love to, because you know, I mean, I'm just gonna say, a government does take these backseats with the unidentified objects. Uh, no, takes these no, backseats. they they haven't. They finally came out and said that. Um, oh, they're doing it really. Now? Yeah, it's 100. percent Like we know it's See, fine. He, yeah, but so people, did that happen? Well, he, that happened. That happened. Like well, no, that happened recently because of everything going on. I think they're finally then just hiding it because they're Good. more worried about hiding their own shadiness. Yeah. So I think it's just a tactic. Distress. So if you actually look back in history, it, well, even back like when my my parents were little. And you look like, they're like, oh, this shiny object over here. Look over here. Mm-hmm. Look, 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 look. Why do you and think? And then they're like, no, 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 no. Never mind. Never mind. You know. Why do you think organized sports are so big in America? Oh, geez. Or yeah. why all of a sudden now Which all way? the focus is, is, it is the fact the the fast four years is all the focus is on Mr. Trump and all of his shadiness or all the other shit. It's all a distraction. All of it is. 
Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Because what 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 keeps the American populace from standing up and taking you know our freedoms back and our rights back if we're distracted? Right. If we're more focused on the fact that you can't afford a fucking gallon of milk, okay. comparative to well, if we would figure out our spending and our budget and you know put money back into educating our fucking children. You need to be like our uh, governor. <laughs> no, because we have an ass governor, and then the person before I was ass. I would not be a good politician. <laughs> no, but this would be great because you would speak realness, and um, we need that. I'm going to go ahead and refer you to my uh, my financial advisor, <laughs> which is my wife. Um, she she is going to be my... She, both have she is going to be my spokesperson, so I'm going to go ahead and say that she's probably going to shut that one down. I think she would. I well, couldn't do it. I would, because I have all this stuff, but I would be shitting my brains up up there. Well, here's the thing, guys, and 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 we're we're, we're going to have you back on the show, but I, oh, yeah. I, I, here's the thing. I feel like there's one person in charge that's not the the president oh, the whatever no. it, it is this this group whoever, and it's a group of families it's a group whoever, of families yeah. and whoever you have that's 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 in the front of your face is just somebody they chose to put there you know what i mean that's just in my crazy brain now i am crazy well, have you have you ever noticed that it wasn't until the beginning of the you know i would probably say the industrial revolution that money became popular mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden after we went from the gold and silver exchange bartering and trading services no. to a physical dollar and then shortly mm -hmm. after the physical dollar came into play so security numbers came into oh play. Yeah. And then after that, mm -hmm. we started having driver's licenses. Well, and then, like, yeah. to, there wasn't like and credit. It, you needed credit. And then now all of a sudden, you know, come yeah. the 40s, late 30s, I can get a line of credit through my That's... bank. Yeah. Look at all this magical stuff that I can buy on credit. Mm -hmm. And then I trickle down from effect. the government. And then now, all of a sudden, you know, you have probably 90% of Americans or more that are living on credit. Because we're told we're supposed to. Oh, and then pushing. Oh, but, but you guys, you two should have a oh, shit God. ton of fucking money in the Did bank. Did you hear that? As millennials, <laughs> six figures saved up. Six like, figures. Hey, tell me which millennial has six figures. Mm. Well, I don't see it. I see our people. No offense, but like. We're struggling. We well, a lot so of like us somebody, are renters. Well, so somebody like somebody like me, if 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 it were up to me, I'm I'm the type of guy that wants a cabin out out in the woods. Yeah. And I my my pursuit in life is is survival. You know, I wake up in the morning. What's my purpose for the day? I think. Oh I, shit! I need to eat. I need to have water to drink. Yep. I need to have somewhere warm and safe to stay. Yeah, me and Simon were talking well, how, about different people's definition of rich. Like people think rich means money, but other for other people, rich means health and all of that. Like just life, your family life, life, experience. liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that is what that is a big part of what America used to be and what we used to stand for. So, yeah, is is and now it's more physical possessions. Because like, don't get me wrong. Like I I have shit. I have hobbies and I have traits. I can throw fucking money down at it. I'm awful. I don't have a quit button sometimes, <laughs> but 
there there's a good chunk of that I would happily walk away from if yeah. need be. But not everybody has that mentality. Well, something, mentality. And that's something that has taken me along because I didn't have to used to have that mentality. Yeah. That was something that I had to, to slowly integrate and try to like remind myself constantly and daily like what what actually matters in life. So like for me, I don't. I, you know, I'm, I'm a 90% disabled veteran and luckily I'm fortunately enough to get, you know, receive mm-hmm. payment from them every month for that. Cause if I didn't, I'd probably be fucked. But on the same note, like if I, so if I were running, flying solo and I didn't have a wife or my son, you know, I'd probably just wander out into the woods and figure it out. But. And be self-sufficient. Well, yeah. Can't do that. Tell me yeah. how many people in America are doing that right now. <laughs> how many in Portland are just on the street? To do that because that is how. Well, they, they can't control you if you're doing that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't profit off of. They can't you every, profit every, you. every yeah, month yep, yep, yep. if you're just going out and Being you know you build, and you build a small them. cabin out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's just big enough for you to stay warm. Yep, and then you're going out and harvesting these animals. For, for food and then that's your vi- that's your cycle of the day well okay I wake up yep. I eat well my my progressional of the day is to get more food so have clean water yeah um get firewood to stay warm I guess to wrap up the topic of your military experience. Oh, yeah. We probably um, yeah, I know. We, shot right off of I don't Because I was just looking at it and I wanted to finalize it. Is there anything, if you could be able to address the military, is there anything you would like to say to them? Like, Not is really. there anything, like, to confront? Or, like, honestly, also, would there be anybody that, like, young young people that could be joining the military? Do you have any advice or, like, anything like that? If you are going to join the military, I'm, I'm not going to nix the military because I had a lot of fun. Right. And I'm not going to try to stop people from joining because I think it's a really, really great experience. It can be a really f- great experience. Yeah. I did join during a time of war, which is different comparative to like, you know, if you were to join now where we're not actively engaged somewhere in the world. I would say if you are going to look at joining the military, look at something that transfers out when you're done. So look at a job that is going to help train you and guide you to where when you get out, you'll have certifications and training and shit to be like, okay, well, you know, you get out and then you can go apply for a job, literally just flop your nuts on the table and I'm the best candidate. From the things that you've From learned. From the, the things yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. learned yeah. during your time. Yeah. So like for me, if my son ever came up to me, you know, when he's old enough and wants to join... I would, you know, I would try, I would try to steer him away from like a combat MOS and go more something like clerical or mechanical, mm-hmm. to where you know you can be an air, aircraft mechanic. Which I think that, or what you know, my cousin yeah. does, yeah. You know, something along those you're lines to where you're gonna get literally go through the training that you would, you know, as a civilian, and then some. But then you have all that documented to where you can get out and then just, you know, literally just do like a lateral transfer and smooth transition and continue to do the same work when you get out. Yeah, my uh, my cousin, her nephew, um, has been in the Air Force since 18, 
and is now 40. Yeah, I think Almost he's 40. he's about ready to retire. Yeah, but is now like finishing up final years up north in Washington yeah. at the base over there. And so he luckily, but he's been bounced around so many places. Um, but he, I guess, was in the more mechanical thing. And then we also have um, the people who live with us, their son, who's in the Navy and um, has also went into a field within there to learn stuff to hopefully, I guess, get out of that and get a job with that. So I guess that would be, I don't know. I don't know. But I've seen, I'm like seeing it more and more with like the job field with just even getting a regular job with our situation that we've been in has been just horrendous. So, I mean, I guess another thing I would want to ask is how can we, as people who didn't live the experience you did, how do we always recognize that within um, community of the areas that we're in and like with people to make sure that it doesn't get lost along the way? Like people, I, I don't like to see people disrespect the vets the way they have. So I guess what could we say to the people of that are civilians that have their opinions on that, I guess? I know that was a whole lot, sorry. I was just rambling, that was too much. No, you're good. Um, I don't. Because they have that preemptive judgment and like they're like, fuck the military, fuck this, da 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 da, and I hate that. I would say I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. Um, I think I would just what I would recommend is that I think a lot of people remember that politics don't matter. Like I, I think it's wonderful that you know, and I think it's great because that's something that I I signed up to to fight for is the First Amendment and, and all mm-hmm. all the rest of our rights and freedoms. Is that you're you do have the right to have your opinion, but on the same note, you have to remember that that somebody did give up and sacrifice their shit you know those of us that did make it back like we still gave something up but on the same note there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of millions of people throughout history that didn't make it home for your right to have that fucking opinion so as much as as much as you're gonna you know stand up for that that right and that opinion somebody did shed their fucking blood for you to be able to publicly be out and come you know be able to come out and say that and also to those who just sit back and oh keyboard warriors yes yes those ones are fun yeah they just like to yeah they stir the pot they just there's like been to... people like that through yeah they do that with our the they do that with our shit all the time and um i think i think I... It just sucks to see a lot of, and I'm going to say it, it's a lot of these more white people, they sit there in their privilege and they don't acknowledge that they get to, for for instance, for example, I'm just going to be my, I get to sit here whilst other people are in other places defending to make sure we're okay here. And like we're, and like, 
vice versa for other things. Like people don't sit there and like think of that bigger picture of that because they want to stir the pot. So what? Yeah, there, there's there's people like that throughout the world. Yeah. So another thing that we have to remember as individuals is we are we create our own demise. Mm -hmm. We are the creators of our own demise. So we have. I know it's hard because I'm I'm also somebody who gets upset when people. You know, I I can be easily fucking stirred up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I also have to sit there and remind myself, like, okay, well, you can say and do whatever you want, but it is my, it, it as a person that's sitting on the other end, I have the 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 choice to either take a step back, take a deep breath, and either nah, fuck you in your opinion, okay, bye, or I can either not respond. Or I can get fucking fired up when you and I start, you know, yelling at one another. Yeah, but it's the consequence of, exactly. of the outcome mm -hmm. of what's going to happen, you know. And people don't stop and fucking think like sometimes. Nobody does. You know, like there's consequences. There's actually consequences. I mean, just a little prime example was just, I don't have to get into details, Was but mine and yours experience at that parent meeting we had mm -hmm. with the people behind us just – Talking out their ass of. Well, it's because uh, there's a lot of people that just like to hear their own voices. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on our show today. Thank you. And I am eager to have you back to talk about all these other good topics that we've touched on a little bit today. Maybe got a little bit off, off track, but it that's was probably, good. I say that's probably my fault. No, no we do it all the, do time. It all the time. That's why it's like. It's going to be great to have you back because the top, some of the topics you brought up is topics we've said we want to talk about this year. So, yeah. And I would like to add, one of the very first words you used was accountability. And in our podcast at the beginning of this year, our word of the year is accountability. Yeah. So I just think that was, I did, we didn't tell you that, right? No. You didn't know. So he already knew that. Accountability, guys. People need we, to be held say, accountable. We are accountable for our own actions. Some people in power don't get held accountable. But you have to hold them accountable. <laughs> well, it was fun. So until next time, I'm Sarah. And I'm Jewel. Peace. Our show is produced by us. Our theme song is by Comeback Karma. Don't forget to like and subscribe.